2014, Shanti Feldon wrote a book called The Good News About Marriage. And man, we need some good news, right? Uh, and in this book, she sought to correct the popular uh, notion that 50% of marriages in America end in divorce and that Christians aren't doing any better. And she said, actually, that's not accurate. Uh, 31% of marriages end in divorce in the United States. And if it's your first marriage, it's actually only 20 to 25%. So you have a 75 to 80% chance, if this is your first marriage, that it's going to last. And uh, in fact, 80 to 85% of uh, people who, who are currently married say, I'm happy, or at least somewhat happy in my marriage. And so the, the, the news is actually better than we feared. And, and, and for Christians, uh, it's, it's even better news. It, being a follower of Christ, uh, being involved in a local church does make a difference in helping you in your marriage. And so now she defines Christian, not just, you know, you check a box, but uh, you're engaged in your church, right? So you're practicing your faith. And uh, there the divorce rate is 15 to 20% amongst church-going Christians. So if you are not getting married because you're afraid, you look around and you say, I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing marriages fall apart all around me and the, and the blow up, right? The consequences are so extreme. I don't want to take the risk. I'm not going to get married uh, because I don't want to potentially go there and have my life just get smashed. Well, I would say this is good news. Marriage is an institution established by God for our joy. And he does not want us to say, to, to refrain from it out of fear, right? If you go into marriage and uh, especially if you marry another, another believer and God will help you, he'll help you uh, in your marriage. And so don't be, don't let fear keep you from what God intends to be a good thing. So there's some good news. How, okay, now let me flip it around and say, okay, it's better than we feared. However, it's 15 to 20% of, uh, uh, yeah, I forgot to dismiss the kiddos. Sorry, you don't want to hear about this. Thank you. If you're in elementary school, Jude, you may, you have my permission. You don't have to, though. He's in junior high now. Oh, good. Get ready for some marriage advice here. <laughs> this is totally relevant for you in 10 years. Or 20, maybe 20. Where was I? Oh, yeah, so, okay, it's better than we feared. However, 15 to 20% of Christian marriages ending divorce, is that really? You know, pleasing to the Lord? Uh, no, I think that's not God's will. God's desire is that every marriage succeed. And, and, and the fact that you know, almost one out of five Christian marriages is ending divorce grieves the heart of God and is something for us to mourn and to warn against. And that's what, uh, that's what is taking place in our biblical text today. Now, hang on, hang, hang with me, Jude and others. If you're not yet married, hey, you're going to get some good advice that will help you in the future. Um, uh, if you have been married and, and, and you have been divorced, um, there is, that's not the unpardonable sin, right? We come back from this in the same way we come back from any sin, which is we repent, we do what we can to make amends, and then we walk in the grace of God. So please don't let this... Um, the sermon is not intended to, um, to beat you up or to put you into a, a, a great sense of burden on your heart. Um, yet, yet it's important that God holds up the ideal, right? God holds up the ideal and says, this is my plan. This is my best. And I can help you live up to that. And there is, uh, there is some practical application, especially uh, towards the end. We're going to talk about how to, how to keep ourselves from uh, unfaithfulness in our marriages. We're in a series titled uh, Comeback Kids, looking at the return of the Jews from their Babylonian exile. It's a period of 110 years in Israel's history, 538 to about 430 BC. So we're 400 plus years uh, before the coming of Christ. Uh, and and yet, this, yet these are the people of God, and there is much that we can learn and apply to our lives today from their story. That's why God puts it in the Bible. Uh, we've been in the series for about three months. Today's the last. And frankly, I think this has been a great series. James and I have loved preaching this series. It's been rich for us. And, and the good news is you can catch up online, clearwater.church. If you've missed sermons, go catch up, and I encourage you to do that. We're ending with the prophet Malachi. Malachi is the, the last prophet God sent his people before the, the ultimate word of God, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and James introduced us to the prophet Malachi last week. Uh, and Malachi it starts out with God saying, I have loved you. And the people reply, how have you loved us? And, and Pastor James pointed out, man, when, when you get to a place where you can't uh, see the love of God in your life, you're in a very bad place spiritually. And that all the other problems that God identifies amongst his people really flow out of that. Uh, God, how have you loved us? We don't, we don't see your love in our lives. And as a result, all their religious activity, it was worthless to God because religious activity that is not accompanied by love for God is just meaningless. And so God said, oh, I wish somebody would just lock the temple doors so you would stop bringing me these worthless sacrifices. You're wasting my time. In fact, it just makes me mad. No amount of church attendance, tithing, serving in the church uh, will move the heart of God on your behalf if it doesn't flow out of a sense of love for God. And boy, we as Christians, how can we doubt the love of God? Look at the cross. How much does God love you? This much, right? He 
he sent his only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could live eternally. God loves us. And may the cross loom so bright in our minds and our imaginations that it, it makes the cares of this world, the troubles of this world, pale in comparison so that God can allow, which he sometimes does for his own purposes. He might allow trouble in our lives. May we never say, look at the trouble and say, God, how do you love me? Keep looking at the cross, never doubt the love of God. One other kind of higher level uh, piece of Malachi I think is fascinating. Malachi, God, through the prophet Malachi, is, issues a number of charges against his people. Here are some sins in the community that are really bothering me. And what's fascinating is, is how defensive the people are. Uh, let me just read you some of their responses. How have you loved us? How have we despised your name? How have we polluted you? How have we wearied him? How shall we return? How have we robbed you? How have we spoken against you? Uh, they, they are spiritually deceived. They're in a bad place spiritually, and they are unaware of it. And I think that's a, that's a, a principle we need to take to heart. I think it's possible to be in a bad place spiritually and, and be self-deceived and think, actually, uh, the problem in this relationship isn't with me. I'm doing all the right things. God, you're the one who's not coming through for me. And so we need to not take our cues from a secular society as to whether or not we are you know, good spiritual people, nor can we take them from our own internal compass, which can get totally off so fast. We need to constantly be reading the word of God and, and evaluating our spiritual life against what the Bible says is the normal Christian life and what does a life look like that is spiritually healthy. And of course, the, the, the litmus test is love, right? First commandment, greatest commandment, love. The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Where are, how are you doing with regards to love? Well, today we're going to zoom in on Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. This is a, a particular sin that is um, apparently pretty rampant amongst the people of God in Malachi's day. God calls it out. Um, I'm choosing to zoom in on this one. Why? Because I think uh, marital unfaithfulness is a problem in our society, and it's a problem in our churches. We are all prone to it. And uh, so I think this, this word of warning is good for us. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? So, the people of God are aware that God is not happy with them because he's not blessing their lives. And, and they are, they're weeping, they're groaning, they're covering the Lord's altars with tears. God, why aren't you regarding our offerings with favor? Why aren't you accepting them? Why aren't you blessing us? And apparently they don't, they don't know why that is, at least they claim not to know. And so God says, all right, let me tell you. I'm, I'm, and I think this is the graciousness of the Lord. You know, when God confronts us with our sin, it's for the purpose of provoking in us repentance and change so that we can have life. Right? Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, as opposed to worldly sorrow, which just leads to, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm going to go crawl in a hole. So God wants to provoke repentance. So what's the answer? Why is God not regarding the offering or accepting it with favor? Here it is. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. I'm not accepting your offerings. I'm not regarding them. You don't have favor in my eyes because of the way you are being unfaithful to your wife, your wives. Obviously, not every Jewish man was unfaithful, but a lot of them were. And so what, is, what does that mean? Well, uh, we know that some, sometimes their unfaithfulness was with uh, the Canaanites in the land, Moabites. So, you know, here's, you've got a guy, he's married, and I don't know how long he's been married, but at, at some point the, in the marriage, the thrill wears off. And, uh, you know, being married to her has just become kind of old hat, and uh, it's not as exciting and fun and fulfilling as it was. And then you look over, and there's this other woman who is, um, presents a much rosier possibility. And so that process might be quick, it might take time, but eventually the guy says, you know what? I'm going to let go of the wife of my youth, and I'm going to go be with this other woman. And that's happening. Uh, and one of the reasons, you know, this other woman is, going to, is better suited for me, going to make me happier. And, uh, and so the wife, uh, your first wife, gets cast aside. And God is not okay with this. In fact, God says, I was witness between you and the wife of your youth. I was at your wedding. I was at your wedding. I was not an, a passive bystander. I was present as a witness. And that's like a legal term, right? I heard the promises you made her. And now I'm bearing witness against you that you are not fulfilling your promises. And so you bring me a lamb, Right? You serve in children's ministries, you're a pastor, uh, you attend church, you read your Bible, you pray, you tithe big amounts of money. I don't care. It doesn't change the way I view you, which is you're a covenant breaker. 
Later it says, his garment is covered with violence. You have done violence to your wife. And so we're not okay. That's what he's telling the people. We are not okay when you have treated your wife that way. And, and here's, a, here's a spiritual principle. The way I treat my wife affects my relationship with God. That's clear biblical teaching. I cannot treat Sabrina uh, inappropriately and then think that my relationship with God is perfectly fine. Now you might think, well, wait, wait a second. That's, all, that's just Old Testament stuff. Uh, does that really apply in the New Testament? We are under grace in the New Testament, right? Yes, we're under grace in the sense that my, my, my standing with God as his child uh, is not dependent upon my good works. It's dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and my faith in Christ. So I am his child and my poor behavior does not make me not his child. My good behavior doesn't make me less of his child. But remember what God says, I will discipline the sin of my children. So that's what we're talking about here is whether or not we are going to have the favor of the Lord on us or the discipline of the Lord on us. And God is telling his people, uh, my, my face is against you. My discipline is on you because of your sinful behavior. First Peter chapter three, here we are in the New Testament, the apostle Peter writing to husbands. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The Apostle Peter is saying, Mike, if you do not live with Sabrina in an understanding way, if you do not show honor to her as the weaker vessel, which I understand being you accommodate her differences. She's not you. She doesn't think like you. She doesn't desire like you. And you better live with her in an understanding way according to who she is. If I'm not honoring her as a co-heir with the grace of life, my prayers will be hindered. God is not going to be as inclined to answer my prayers, to do what I want, to help me out. He continues on just, just uh, two verses later. Bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Bless that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And by righteous and uh, wicked, I don't think he's just talking Christian, non-Christian. He's talking about our behavior. Do you, want, do you want the ears of God to be open to your prayer? Do you want him to, uh, his favor to be on you? Do you want him to be blessing your life? Or do you want him to be, have his face set against you? and not be regarding your uh, sacrifices or accepting them from your hand. How we live matters. How we live matters. And um, so let me just clarify. I'm a Christian, not because I do good. I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sins, and he lived a righteous life, and that righteous life is applied to me because I have faith in him. I'm going to heaven, not because of my good behavior, but because of Jesus Christ's uh, perfect life, sacrificial death. But I then live my life from now until the time Jesus either returns or takes me. And how I live my life will affect the, the, the response of God to my life, whether or not God's going to uh, bless me and thereby say, Mike, I approve of the way you're living and I applaud it. Or if God is going to say, I'm not going to bless that. Not the way you're living. And in this context, not in the way you are treating your wife. Are your prayers being hindered because of the way you are treating your spouse? The Bible addresses men, but obviously it doesn't apply only to men, right? Wives make promises to their husbands too. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? That's fascinating. Genesis talks about God will make the, the two shall become one. Matthew, Jesus in Matthew says, uh, what God has joined together, let no man separate. There is some, something spiritual that happens when you get married. God's present at your wedding and by his spirit, he unites you. And it's a violent thing to tear that apart. What did Jesus say? What God has uh, brought together, let, joined together, let no man separate. <clears throat> and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring, right? What is, what is God hoping to get out of marriage? Uh, kids who are reared in the, uh, the fear of the Lord. Now, can, can kids be godly who come out of a single family? Absolutely. But God's plan, if his plan A has, has always been Christian man, Christian woman, they get married, they have children, they model love for God in the relationship, and they teach their children that, in a sense, that's kind of the best chance kids have. And make no mistake, um, you're, if you deal faithlessly with your spouse, you make it harder for your children spiritually. You put them at spiritual risk. You do. And that's a big deal to God. So, God, here it is. Here's the, so here's the uh, 
the injunction. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Do not be faithless. By the way, it doesn't say for the man who does, who does not remain with his wife as a roommate but divorces her. It says who doesn't love. So there's the alternative. The, 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 what's the opposite of being faithless? Love. Love. So guard yourselves in your spirit and don't be faithless. Twice it says that. We're going to talk about what does it mean to guard yourself in your spirit? What does that look like? How, how do we do that? But first, what is faithlessness? Just very simply, what does it mean to be faithless in your marriage? I think it means to, to not do what you promised, right? When you got married, you made promises. By the way, as a pastor, I'm a, I'm a meddlesome pastor when it comes to vows. Don't, don't send me some pablum. I will meddle with your vows. And I have pushed back with people getting married. I'm like, that's not satisfactory because that doesn't honor what marriage is truly about. Don't tell me I'm going to, nobody's done this to me, but you know, I, will, I will love you as long as you make me happy. You know. No, I'm not going to do that. And um, so, you, but when you, you make promises and then being faithful is do what you say. So um, I had the privilege of marrying uh, one of our elders, Justin Myring, to Leah Dever, his uh, lovely wife. And he said I could share the, the vows that they made publicly. Here it is. I, Justin Myring, take you, Leah Dever, to be my wife, my constant friend, my faithful partner, and my love from this day forward. In the presence of God, our family, and our friends, I offer you my solemn vow to be your faithful partner in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, and in joy as well as in sorrow. I promise to love you unconditionally, to honor and respect you, to laugh with you and cry with you, and to cherish you for as long as we both shall live. I'm all in with you for the rest of our lives. That's what it is. God witnessed that, and God holds Justin and uh, any of us who've been married accountable. And so is, would Justin be fulfilling his, uh, would he be faithful to his marriage vow if he allowed his uh, relationship to Leah to degenerate into just a roommate marriage? If he, if he allowed his, you know, anger to settle into his heart to where he didn't share uh, with her his full self? Or if he let his eye wander and now he's, you know, he's engaging in, in true intimacy with some other woman? No. There's, there's a, obviously, there's a spectrum of what, you know, there's love and there's unfaithfulness, and that's a spectrum. Um, somebody, well, Tracy Berkland said Thursday night, she gave me a line I thought it was great. She said, you know what God hates more than divorce? I said, what's that? She said, all of the behaviors that lead to divorce. Uh, that's a good point, right? It doesn't, we don't just, un, you know, unfaithfulness usually doesn't just happen in a moment. There's all these, there are attitudes, there are thoughts, there are behaviors that get us from here to there. And, and there's a spectrum of unfaithfulness. That's, I think, why he said, if you don't love your wife and you're unfaithful, there's your spectrum. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Don't be unfaithful, uh, unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So th this is a big deal, right? The church is the pillar and bulwark of truth, the Bible says. The world loses truth. And if we don't preach back to ourselves what is true, it'll be lost. And so what does society say? Marriage, marriage is uh, temporary if it's not giving you what you want, right? You go into marriage in order to get something from it. And if it doesn't deliver, move on. And don't waste your time with the same person for too long. Life is short. That is, the, you know, we hear that everywhere. Uh, and that's not the biblical picture of marriage. Marriage is, God takes it very seriously. You made promises, you keep those promises. Okay, so guard your spirit. What does it mean to guard your spirit? Well, it means to watch, you know, be in control of what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Watch what you're thinking and what you're feeling and don't let yourself go certain places. So I want to talk about three things we need to guard ourselves from. Number one, bitterness. Guard your heart from bitterness. Um, Colossians chapter three, verse 19. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, why would you possibly become embittered towards your wife? <laughs> because she fails you sometimes, right? And she disappoints you and she hurts you. God, God, God is not uh, naive. He knows who we are and how we treat each other. If you're married, your spouse will disappoint you sin against you, right? And, and you, so how do you not get embittered against somebody who repeatedly fails you and hurts you and because you're guarding your spirit and you're saying, no, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to communicate. I'm going to turn the other cheek, right? I'm going to get over this. I'm not going to let the sun go down on my, on my wrath. You apply the gospel to your relationship. And so you, you keep short accounts. You do all the things the Bible talks about so that you're, so that you don't go bitter. And that is a choice you make day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, right? Because bitterness always wants to set in. And we don't go, we just say, no, I'm going to guard my spirit from bitterness. Here's another one. Guard, guard your spirit from apathy. 
Here is my favorite. You might not know this passage. Well, if you've ever read it, you remember it. Uh, this is my favorite passage on marriage, and I'm not joking, even though it's kind of funny. Proverbs chapter 5, uh, verses 19 or 18 to 20. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Remember, this is a, a father talking to a son. Dad saying, let me give you advice. Here's, here's how you can have the best life you can have. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Uh, I came across this as you know, a young married man. And, and the thing that struck me was, not what you're thinking. The thing that struck me was, dad believes that I have a choice on how I feel toward my wife. He, he doesn't say, I hope the wife of your youth intoxicates you, right? Well, I hope she stays young and vivacious and perky for a lifetime. That's not what he's saying. He says, Mike, you choose to rejoice in the wife of your youth. You choose to be satisfied. You choose to be intoxicated with her. What? Do we really have a choice in how we, in how we feel about our wives and whether they cap capture us, captivate us, intoxicate us, satisfy us? I think the clear biblical teaching is, yes, we do. And there is always the pull toward apathy, always the pull toward bitterness, always the pull toward, eh, bored with you, mad at you, you're no longer exciting. And we guard our spirits and we say, I'm not going there. I'm going to look at her with desirable, desiring eyes. And I'm going to say, hey, you're beautiful. Come over here and intoxicate me. Now, it's nice when your spouse, you know, does their part in trying to be intoxicating, right? And so, you know, let's be healthy and smell nice and dress nice, right? And be nice. We have a role to play in this, but, but, but we have, we can make choices about how we're going to think and feel about our spouse and it's powerful. So guard your spirit against guard your spirit against bitterness, guard your spirit against apathy, and then finally guard your spirit against illicit desires. Verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Don't let your eye wander. There are a lot of other uh, fish in the sea, but they're not your fish, right? Not a lot of other women, and they're beautiful women. But you don't you don't uh, get intoxicated with them. You don't get captivated by them. And, and that's putting mental guards on constantly, right? And boy, we live in, we live in a world where uh, you, every single day, if you're going to read your news online, you're having to make choices. I don't know how many times I have to pre-tell myself, okay, I'm going to go to Drudge Report, predetermining I'm not going to click anything that's questionable or look at anything that's questionable. We have got to guard our spirits constantly against illicit desires. Keep the wedding bed pure, the Bible says, right? So sometimes I tell Sabrina, you are my Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope for sexual satisfaction and fulfillment, right? I'm not going anywhere else. So I'm coming to you. Be ready. Yes, she just got home last night from 10 days away, so I was reminding her of Star Wars. Plus, it was my 50th birthday, so come on. All right. That was not in my notes. We're wrapping up here. Yep, we're done. We're done. Marriage is important. Let's stay faithful. All right, I'm praying. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for marriage. It is a wonderful thing. Boy, it is a gift. It is a gift, Lord. But the evil one, because it is a picture of Christ and the church, and it's a picture of your love, and it's a model of how you, you relate to us, Lord. Satan attacks it so viciously and is so excited when he can get Christian marriages to break down, whether they have the actual divorce title to them yet or not, Lord. And, and so we say, no, we're not going to let the evil one uh, win in this area. Why does God confront uh, his people through Malachi? He's trying to get attention, get the attention of those men and women who have not yet gone to divorce so that they would arrest themselves, change their behavior, uh, and, um, and become faithful. So help us to do that, Lord. You, you know, we're all convicted. Uh, your spirit applies this to our lives, and may we respond. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.